Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you lead a team? Or maybe you belong to a team? Well, in today's episode of My Millennial Career, we talk about leading through crisis. Hi, and welcome to My Millennial Career. My name's Shell, and I'm a HR professional. Hey, Em. Hey, Shell. I'm Emily, and I work in recruitment. Today, we're talking about leading through crisis. We have been doing lots of debriefs between us about how uh, COVID is changing our worlds at work, and one of the things that has come up time and time again is this idea of the need to adapt and change when you're in a leadership role and you're navigating things like a remote workforce that maybe you're not so used to or just those extra pressures and stresses that come from needing to make decisions that perhaps you you haven't had to make before. So we thought we'd actually turn the tables a little bit and uh, do this episode on what it means to, I guess, be a leader in, in this sort of environment. Interestingly, though, what we also realized as we were talking on it is that anybody, no matter what role you're in, can actually take up the advice that we are we are going to unpack today. And you can, even if you're a team member, you can actually lead your team from an employee perspective or a team member's perspective as a really good role model of yeah. these sorts of behaviors. Definitely. I think the key thing is that you can influence no matter what your role or position is. And so using these things we're going to unpack today will be helpful for everyone. They will be. I really believe that. So I guess at the moment, our sense of security, our sense of stability, it really has dramatically changed. Captain Obvious, we all know that. And this has come from things like stand downs, from redundancies, from reduced hours or maybe wages, and from the economic climate and the pace at which decisions are being made at um, even sort of political levels or, or I guess, you know, by the government that are having that flow and effect to all of us and, and through the decisions that our business is making. And something I've really seen be a priority for everybody, um, and I guess as we're moving through this, something that we've all started to talk more about is this idea of well-being. And I know you agree with Michelle when we say that this needs to be high and we are probably talking about it first for that exact reason. It needs to be high on the agenda of leaders. But, you know, I guess I'm curious to pick your brain about, well, what do we actually do when we're in this world that looks different to encourage wellness amongst our people? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's confronting and I guess one of the most confronting things about COVID has been how much we don't actually control. And so before this pandemic, I think we've had this illusion of control, but now we're realising nothing is certain. And I guess that creates quite a sense of fear and anxiety within our teams. And again, comes back to us needing to make sure and make a priority of, of how do we build an environment that helps people to be well, that helps foster a sense of well-being am- among our staff, particularly when it comes to things like 
job security. Mm, and, mm. and that job security for the majority of people would only be, dare I say it, one of their stresses at the moment. Yeah, well, that's right. There's so many things people bring into the workplace. It's the stuff going on in their family. It's all that other kind of peripheral things that we carry into our work context that then affect our overall well-being. And I think my strategy for leaders and things that I, I do and encourage managers and leaders to do repeatedly, are really it's really simple, two things. The first thing is to communicate what you don't know. Okay. And it sounds counterintuitive because when we're trying to create well-being, we want to create a sense of stability and security, but often that backfires because what happens when things change rapidly is if we've if we've tried to focus on what we do know and not communicated elements that are, are maybe we're not certain about, that level of change can can really adversely impact people's well-being. And so where you instead of communicating only what you know, I think it's really important to express what what are the unknowns. That makes sense to me because what I've experienced at times or what I've recognised at times is when there's a blank, people, our brains, me included, we try to fill that blank in and our imagination and what our brain likes to cultivate is always so much worse than reality. So yeah. much worse. And it's because we um, uh, we go into survival mode. We're preparing for the worst, so to speak. We try and set ourselves up so that our expectations are, uh, I guess, as low as possible. And then that way, whatever happens, we think, well, we're going to be okay because I've, I've mentally, I've prepared for the worst. But it is so dangerous. And so as a leader, if you're actually able to say, if you're able to use your advice shell and you're able to say, we don't know, yeah, then you're filling in the blank. I think it requires us as managers to communicate with our staff maturely and expect them to navigate the ambiguity, but also for them to respond maturely in turn. And that transparency in how you communicate and and treat your team really sets the tone and it helps to create a level of clarity. And I think clarity is so important for wellness at work. Yeah, even if it's the clarity that we don't know right now. Totally. Because mm. it's saying, you know what, we don't know about what our uh, revenue is going to look like exactly. And we know that whatever our revenue looks like impacts staffing, impacts wage cost. But being upfront helps people to all be on the same page rather than having pockets of the organisation that start whispering about, oh, this might happen or this might happen. Just don't coddle people. Don't sugarcoat it. Actually put it out there and go, you know what, if this, if, if this revenue drops by this, we may need to look at X, Y, and Z, mm-hmm. but we don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And So, okay, that makes sense to me. I'm. What's the second thing? You talked about there being sort of this really simple strategy, communicate what you don't know being part one. What does the second part of that strategy look like? And so the second part's the flip side. So communicate what you do know. So there's going to be a lot of unknowns and there, there are a lot of unknowns at the moment for the business, but really communicate what you know for certain because that creates the I guess the collective sigh of relief for people of going you know what in all of the unknown we know this about our business we know our purpose is xyz we know that this won't change in our business and so it gives people that rallying cry almost to come around of going this is our business's mission or purpose 
We know that won't change. We know that's going to be going forward into the future. Even if the way we achieve our mission or, or purpose changes, our actual, the fundamentals will continue on. And so communicating what you don't know and then making sure you reinforce what is known. I imagine as well if it would take a little bit of time and, and this probably has been building before COVID even hit. If you do that consistently, then one of the things that your people will know and you can tell them is that you will communicate what you know and you will also communicate what you don't know. So that strategy itself can be something that you put in the communicate what you know basket so that people then have a greater sense of comfort that if there's something to know, they will know. If there's something that you don't have an answer to, you a problem you haven't solved yet, they'll know that as well. And I think that can be really comforting in itself. Yeah, and it's just liberating for people. They don't feel like there's closed door decision-making going on. They go, okay, they're being upfront, they're being honest, and I it creates that sense of trust in the employer. Mm, I love that. And it's that's quite a different perspective when, you know, we talk about well-being. That's a little bit of a different perspective to maybe where I thought you might have gone with that. So I love that. Oh, thanks, Sam. (laughs) (laughs) It's very cool. What would be the next thing that you would recommend to somebody who's leading through a crisis? Yeah, so I think the next thing, once we've created that sense of well-being, we're, we're looking after our team members by good communication, the next thing we need to do is to set solid objectives. For those who haven't managed a remote team before, you will need to change the way you manage. And I think most people are probably well aware of that now after managing remotely for, a to- for some time. I think one of the challenges I've seen for many managers as they've moved to working from home is that there was this underlying lack of trust that they right. had in their employees. So it's like fear that they're not actually working. If I can't see you working, you mustn't be working. Totally. And I think, it's, I don't know... If, I just find this such a f- funny and weird concept that do you remember M from when like when you're studying at uni that concept of called managing by wandering around? Oh no, I don't. It's this. Uh, they, they, we used to look at all these old school management practices, and one of them was management by wandering around. If you Google it, it comes up with all these kind of funny strategies, and it was really big in the eighties. But I actually think. We haven't moved – a lot of managers haven't moved away from that practice of I manage my people by physically being near them. That real observation of tasks and process rather than assessment of outcomes. Would that be kind of summary? It's like I just just think it's complete flawed logic because it's like the physical presence of a manager equates with performance Mm. and that's just simply not true. Well, and then, you know, don't sort of start our rant I guess but – it's near impossible as well because you've got one person with a team of multiple people. And 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 so I, I just wonder, now that we flick to remote working, it's actually a really good time for managers who maybe have needed to reinvent some of their practices to really jump in and do that. So I would be encouraging every manager to start to think about how do I set really solid objectives for my people? And instead of focusing on hours or proximity, you start focusing on outcomes. What do I need you to achieve by when? And getting really clear on that. And so, I mean, there's some really easy ways ways to do that. Do you have any thoughts though on that outcomes focus or approach? I'm really big on this as well. And it's really natural to me. I find that having, if I think about, okay, well, what do I actually do 
if I break it down, it's funny to think about things that you kind of do on autopilot. It's about having regular meetings or sort of catch-ups where you're actually agreeing what you need to have achieved and by when. And sometimes that's a 24-hour turnaround. Sometimes it's a week turnaround. Sometimes it's six months from now. And then you map back from there, particularly for those longer objectives where some checkpoints might be and what do the outcomes that are sort of the mini outcomes at those checkpoints, what do they look like? But then also I tend to say things, I hear it come out of my mouth quite often, I don't really care how you get it done or I don't really care how you do it or look, you come up with the best way, but here are some rules of play. So that might be things like budget, for example, and resource other resources and then here's what success looks like at the end of that. So here's what the expectation is. Yeah, and I think that's it. It's it's about setting the clear objective, what you're going after, but flexibility and how it gets achieved. So for me in our teams that we work with, what we want is create the clarity in the objective. So think about what's the overall outcome I'm seeking. So it might be transitioning this product to a digital offering because we're no longer able to sell it face-to-face And so that's a big outcome. And underneath that outcome, you're going to have key results. And those key results have to be measurable. So as a manager, what that means is that you have to get really clear on what are the key results you need to see. And you've got your big overarching objective, followed up by those smaller results, which become your lead measures. And those lead measures are the things you're focusing on each week, or like you were saying, those smaller goals and each month that enable you to achieve that overall outcome. And then once you've set, the best thing about objectives, and I think, and having that outcomes approach is that as a manager, you set that objective or the outcome, might be for three months, might be a little bit longer. And then you can just kind of hands off and go, okay, I'm going to empower my team member to do that because I've upfront set a lot of clarity on what I need them to be doing. In your teams that maybe you are seeing have had further to shift to get used to this overnight, so to speak. How are you finding – so it's one thing for the leader, so that formal manager or leader to actually make these adjustments. Are you finding that there's also some huge adjustments for the team members? Because I'm just thinking if you hadn't worked in this style of – if you haven't been managed like this before and you were really used to that old school style of management, you would have adapted as an employee to be successful in those conditions And to be told, do you know what? Let's set this three-month objective. Let's get really clear on it. Let's check in on a weekly basis or on a monthly basis and have these little milestones along the way. But otherwise, over to you, you're off, you know, off and running on your own, so to speak. I for some people that would be quite confronting and scary, I would think. Yeah. And I guess it depends on if you have other KPIs in your role to help kind of build that um, clarity out. I do think it takes an adjustment. The biggest adjustment in my mind is on part of the manager. I think it requires some really good solid habits. I think what I've found from employees who are shifting to this approach is that they actually really appreciate it. They they feel like they're more clear on what they need to be doing, but they've also got the flexibility to do it in a way that works for them rather than feeling maybe having someone watching over your shoulder the work you're doing. Mm, That makes sense. And I'm just thinking about this idea of well-being and right now to try and fit your home life in with your work life in a way that is so far beyond work-life balance as we've known it or work-life integration as we've known it 
all of a sudden you're giving more freedom for that person perhaps to be able to segment their day differently to fit around the homeschooling or fit around the different routines that they've got for their family or even if you've got housemates, how do you fit in with the style of work that they're doing? Yeah, totally. That freedom and that outcomes focus I think could be so good for somebody's well-being as well. Definitely. Makes sense to me. Okay. So along the way uh, in a crisis, but even in just the conversation we've heard so far, there's going to be so many decisions that as a leader are needing to be made and probably more intense decisions and decisions more quickly than we've ever known them. There'll be decisions that are much like they've always been, but there'll also be these really critical decision-making points Can you talk to us a little bit about what your recommendation would be in and around decision-making in a crisis situation or a crisis circumstance? Yeah, I'm seeing business leaders are under extreme pressure right now and I think the stakes are a lot higher when it comes to making decisions in a crisis like COVID. And so we are, like you mentioned, Em, we need to make quick decisions and we don't have all the information and so that makes a job of a leader or manager really tough. And then to add to the complexity, one of the things we know from academic research is that stress and crisis increases decision-making bias. And so where we have bias in our decision-making, it actually uh, reduces the quality of our decision-making. Well, we're more likely to revert to what we know or what we think we know. Totally. And it's really, it's quite concerning when you think about the nature of the decisions leaders are making. So they're making decisions about staffing, about structure, about innovation, about what products they're going to offer going forward. And so where you have decision-making bias, all those things put together to me are, are quite concerning. But you can't not make decisions, right? You need to still... If anything, that decision-making and that quick decision-making is becoming – you've got less time, uh, but it's more important. Totally. Even if you're the most experienced leader, it's really important to be aware of how our bias impacts our decisions. And I've worked with a lot of leaders who are belief-based in how they operate, and these types of people are the ones who rely on intuition or gut instinct, and and lots of them find it effective for their decision-making – But in this current climate, I think intuition and gut instinct in decisions is a huge risk. Why is that? Because what's happening is where where leaders are using intuition to make a decision, generally that's based on their past experience. And so they're trying to go through their mental filing cabinet of when have I seen this situation, I'll apply that same logic and it's a lot of gut and vibe. What we're living in right now we've never seen anything like it Mm. and so we don't have this past experience to draw on and that's where I think if you're a leader and you're having to make decisions about staffing right now or decisions about the finances of the business or about what products are going forward make sure you get people around you that can challenge your decision making and challenge your assumptions because I can tell you now, you've probably got some big bias in your decision making. And is this a time when you're also, in addition to those people to play, say, devil's advocate or add their expertise around you, you're also looking for more data as well? That's it. And you're looking for you're looking for data. You also want those people with diverse perspectives at the table. So 
For me, if I'm making a decision, I want to make sure that those analytical voices in my world who maybe have an analytical decision-making style as opposed to a beliefs-based decision-making style, they're contributing. And let's flip that for one second before we move on. If you're an analytical decision-maker who tends to always revert to data and black and white science, perhaps now is the time more than ever to open up to this idea of feelings-based, beliefs-based, intuitive sort of thinking around decisions and go and find the people in your organisation who can sort of mellow you out and, and take, yes, we understand that what you're saying stacks up from a logical data-based or data-driven decision-making point of view, but how does that actually play out when you apply it to humans because they are anything but logical? That's it. <laughs> yes, me and you, case in point. <laughs> Exhibit A. Exactly. So anyway, and that's a big bit of a ranty uh, way of saying test your decision making, get the right people in the in the room who are going to challenge your assumptions so that you can reduce the bias and increase the quality of the decision. Okay, love that. Can we spend a bit more time on this diverse perspectives piece? Yes. Awesome. I love I love talking about diverse perspectives. Okay. Well, I'll cut you off at some point if we if we start to run out of time, but I would like to just stay here for a little bit longer because this is I completely agree with you. This is a time when diverse perspectives are needed more than ever, but I think we should explain why that is. Yeah, so diversity of thought will really help you and your business innovate. Okay. And that's how we get, that's why this, the diversity and inclusion movement is so important. And, and in part, one of the reasons that it adds value is because it increases organisational performance, but also enables organisations to innovate. And the businesses that will survive this crisis are the ones that innovate. And we're seeing so many businesses do that really well. But innovation can only occur if a leader embraces the input of diverse people who solve problems in a different way to them. That's such a nice definition. As you've been talking, I've been thinking about the fact that like everything else that we're talking about and that we are endeavouring to overcome at the moment, there's some pros and cons. And so, for example, I don't know about you, but if I've ever sat in a meeting, sometimes it's the loudest voice in the room or the, the collection of loudest voices in the room that are heard the most. And I wonder whether these virtual meetings that we're doing might actually, usually you've got someone chairing a meeting. So it's typically a leader, or, you know, it's that manager. Sometimes it's somebody else that might be a project lead or, or might've just floated to the surface on a particular topic. And I actually wonder whether these virtual meetings might be a better space for hearing everybody. Totally. And you can... If you are chairing that meeting, I would be asking each person to contribute and like you're almost doing a go around around yeah. the room because those quieter people, I love what you said, Em, like the loudest voice, they're always that person to jump straight in, but they're not always the person that's going to add value in terms well, of... And not on their own. People, you, you will add more value when it's the contribution of those diverse perspectives and in a virtual meeting, there's more opportunity to go around the room in a really comfortable way, I believe, than if you're sitting in a boardroom physically in each other's presence and you will have some who are just a – they're a bigger presence than others. Yeah. So, th- you could actually play this whole virtual meeting thing 
to your advantage. Yeah, and just uh, I've been really targeting people in meetings who are quiet, which sounds terrible, targeting them. But I just caught like saying, okay, Joe, you haven't you haven't contributed. Can you please share your thoughts? Yeah, because chuck everyone else on mute because you've got the power. That's it. It's <laughs> like, and and so actually calling out people to contribute who may normally sit. They might be quieter. They might sit back and allow the conversation to flow, but they actually have something really of value to add. So just calling them out, bringing them in. Yeah, and making it about the task at hand, not about – it's not personal. So you're not actually if, – if person A suggests one solution and person B has a different idea, we're all here to try and solve the problem – it's not about one versus the other or someone's idea being better or worse or creating some sort of personal, I don't know, bias between the decision that's at hand or that solution that you're trying to come up with. It's actually about all collectively trying to do that together as well. I think it's important to remember. And the other thing while we're talking about virtual meetings <laughs> is I think awkward silence can be really beneficial. Like, See, not, I like that in, in normal meetings. But, do you? <laughs> yeah. Well, just creating, don't you think you create the silence and just like, one of my temptations that I've had to really work on is not trying to jump in and, and fill the space but allow the silence to go for a period of time because someone's going to jump in and say something that maybe they otherwise wouldn't have. Yeah, it's so powerful. Most people are not going to speak immediately. In their head, they're trying to come up with all the reasons why it's a bad idea yeah. before they put themselves out there because that's a sense of vulnerability. So silence, you need silence and you need time and you need to prompt people who maybe are not the loudest voice or the biggest presence in order to say, hey, this is a safe space. Let us know what you're thinking. What would you do differently? Yeah, love it. Nice. All right, we should move on because you're right. We could talk about that for days. So I believe you've got one other piece of uh, advice or one other recommendation for us. That one, one more that we could fit into the time yeah. frame. Hit us with it. What is it? So M, so many managers have been saying to me and I hear this, I can't tell you how many times I've heard this because it's been a lot. It's been, and it's been what, three weeks? Yeah, three, we're like three <laughs> weeks in three and or four the weeks. common theme I've heard is, oh, we can't, we, it, we can't do those tough conversations over Zoom. Uh-huh. Oh. And so I'm curious now, just uh, tell me, when are they proposing that they don't do them at all? Are they proposing that they delay till post-COVID or are they proposing that they do them in a di- different way? I what think do you find all in? of the above probably. Okay. And so I just think that is a, the tough conversations have to keep happening. And I think saying that, oh, we can't do them because it's over Zoom, we have to be physically present is an absolute cop-out in my mind. Right. Fair. Yep. So I'd, I'd agree. I think we've transitioned everything else to over Zoom. Why not transition these, the tough conversations? Maybe they're about performance. Maybe they're about um, work issues. To me, those things don't go on hold because we're not physically in the room together. Well, nothing's happening physically in the room. So everybody has very quickly had to get over the idea of being able to be in the room together or do anything face-to-face and in-person face-to-face. And we've our default now, our nor- like our normal for the time being, is everything is virtual. Totally. And so we absolutely need to be having those conversations that as a manager and leader, those difficult conversations are just as crucial as ever. And 
there's some strategies and ways that I think managers and leaders can do these conversations well. One of the things that I would encourage you to do is to use nuance. So having a nuanced approach to your conversations with your team members is really important at the best of times, but over Zoom and when you're virtually discussing maybe a performance issue, have that conversation, but gauge the person you're meeting with. So your team members have different communication styles, have different needs, have different interests. And so trying to have a bit of a nuanced approach of going, okay, well, if I'm having a conversation with Joe, I'm going to lead in this way, knowing that he's more, he's actually better with subtlety. But if I'm having a conversation with Sophie, she actually prefers a more direct and blunt style. So I'm going to, I'm going to do the conversation in a way that's going to resonate more with her. Get to the point quickly, less small talk at the start. And so you're, you're saying nuanced, um, for me, I think of adaptive leadership. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And so, so tailoring to suit the audience. And still doing, and you, so you're still doing that over Zoom. You're also, you might acknowledge, look, we're not, we're not physically able to, like we're not able to meet physically, but this conversation, timeliness is important. So I've still got to have it and we've still got to go there. I realise I would, would have rather do it in person, but it's just, not, it's just not possible at the moment. Right at the beginning of this chat, we talked to this idea that this, was, uh, this would be a conversation for leaders in leading through crisis, but that no matter who you were, ro- what role you're in, you could actually take this advice and run with it. And I stand by that being the case for everything we've discussed. This one as well, though, if you are an employee and there's a conversation that you need to have with your manager, then I wouldn't change a thing as far as what we've just talked about. Still have the conversation, tailor it to suit the personality style of your manager. Do not wait. Totally. And there's signals you can use to flag to someone, hey, I need to have a difficult conversation. I'm finding this, I've been putting this off, but I realise we need to have that discussion now. And that's actually a signal to the other person that, oh, we're, we're changing the tone of the conversation. I might need to um, shift in my approach or whatever. It just gives that person a signal to transition the type of discussion you're having. Yeah, or use some of the strategies that we've talked about in earlier episodes uh, that I've loved that you, you've sort of talked us through a script on and you've said, you know, book the meeting beforehand and make sure that they know what it's about, make sure they know the agenda give that person the heads up. So whether you're talking to an employee or you're talking to your manager, give them a little bit of a heads up on, hey, I'd really like to make a time to discuss this with you. It's your opportunity to still put it in the calendar, do it face-to-face and don't put anybody's lives on pause. There's just no need right now. And we don't have that luxury. We need to keep moving forward as individuals and businesses. That's so bang on. We don't have the luxury to put these things on hold. We're in a crisis. We need to be efficient. We need to be productive. So have the conversations, even when they're tough. And if you do actually have any of these discussions with your team members and you have thoughts, reflections or comments, we'd actually love to hear about it because we're all in this tricky time of navigating and, and testing and learning new approaches. If you've got any strategies that have worked or haven't worked, send them through via the Instagram or the Facebook page because we'd love to hear and and reflect back to the uh, community later on about how things are going. Yeah, I'm seeing lots and lots of – there's always been questions in the Facebook group to get that sort of collective 
problem solving happening. But this last month, the number of questions that I'm seeing coming through that just have that slightly different feel to them as far as what do I do with this? What decision do I make? How do I go about this? It is the perfect place. And then so many people are commenting with things I never would have thought of. Yeah. And it's oh, it's just so awesome. So I, that's a really good idea actually. So if you are looking for the Facebook community, you haven't joined My Millennial Money Facebook community, jump on. We would love to talk to you more there. And especially about any career stuff going on right now, there's, there's so much happening. There's so much change. So connect with us there and also our Insta, My Millennial Money. Yeah, and it might even be a great source of inspiration for sort of some other things that we can talk about on a podcast so we can keep spreading that word and keep navigating this thing together. That's it. Awesome. All right, let's leave it there for today and thank you for your, all of your time and wisdom, Shell. Oh, thanks for hanging out. No worries. All right, Bye. see ya. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.